The best tech conference of the year is coming to Las Vegas, November 28th through December 2nd, and MongoDB will be there. Check us out at booth 1611 for prizes, swag, and to learn all about the Atlas Developer Data Platform. Can't make it to the show but still want to enjoy the fun? Check out the MongoDB live stream for live interviews and discussions of all the exciting announcements from the show. Visit mongodb.com slash reinvent for more information. This is Chris Harris, also known as the Query Doctor, and on today's episode of the MongoDB podcast, we're going to be saving you some money. When you are developing and, and beginning your MongoDB journey, take a little bit of time to make sure that things are set up correctly to begin with. A little bit of changing upfront may help you really scale and avoid some potential pitfalls as you grow. And so those things are just important to spend a little bit of extra time on because it'll help you have a more successful journey overall. Welcome to the podcast. Today, Nick and I sit down with Chris Harris, also known as the Query Doctor. Chris is going to talk to us about improving the performance of your MongoDB queries, and he could quite possibly save you some money. If you've got queries running against your database and they're taking up too much CPU, maybe taking too long to run, you might be able to improve the performance of those queries without spending more money on a larger instance. So if you want to save money and better prepare to scale your application, stay tuned. You're listening to the MongoDB Podcast. MongoDB Podcast. Exploring the world of software development, data, and all things MongoDB. And now your hosts, Michael Lynn and Nick Raboy. Hey, Nick, how you doing, man? I am doing great, Mike. How about yourself? Doing fantastic. Uh, we got another great episode lined up today. We're talking with Chris Harris from MongoDB. Chris, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks so much for inviting me. I really appreciate the work you all are doing and bringing information in this new medium to different folks. So it's a pleasure to be here because I know you've had some great people on the podcast already. So happy and looking forward to it. Fantastic. Uh, well, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience, let them know who you are, what you do, and uh, a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So my name is Chris Harris. I just recently passed my five-year anniversary with the company, which is incredible to think that it's gone that, by that fast. I am on the technical services team. So we are responsible for doing support for uh, you know, our many, many customers. And that support comes in a variety of forms and challenges, right? So the goal is to make all of our customers successful with using MongoDB, and they come up with some interesting challenges for us sometimes. So that's really what the life is like overall in terms of the role. And then within technical services, we all sort of have different areas of specialty. And mine happens to be queries and indexing and performance and stuff like that. And it's just quite a variety of challenges and interesting things to learn. And it's really rewarding to get to help customers uh, really drastically improve you know, their systems and their stability and scalability and all of that stuff. So in regards to uh, being at MongoDB, you've been here about five years now, and that's kind of like a veteran MongoDB uh, person. Have you been with the technical services the entire five years or did you move around at all? I have indeed been with technical services the whole time. I was brought on as an associate level TSE uh, back in 2016 and have slowly ramped up uh, over time uh, and been promoted, which I'm really just appreciative of. And what I would say also, though, is that, you know, while the people in technical services are often well tenured and have been here for quite some time, 
there's also uh, opportunities to move and explore different roles. And several of my former colleagues, um, they're still with the company and they've moved on to assist in other areas of the company, which is just great because they bring that customer focus, that customer perspective to the things that they're doing in their various fields. Well, in technical services, maybe explain really briefly for the audience, who do technical services folks interface with and uh, how do people get in touch with technical services at MongoDB? Yeah, so that's a great question. And there's actually several aspects to that. The most straightforward piece is that anybody who's basically running an Atlas cluster or who has a, whose company has a support contract with us, there is a dedicated portal for them to reach out and it's a way for us to interface with them. So if they, they have a team of people that are working on a problem and or we have a team of people that are working to assist with them, we can sort of track the things that we're doing in there and share information back and forth and coordinate different things back and forth, which is really helpful. And then similarly, um, our Atlas platform offers different subscription models and uh, availability of uh, support engineers to kind of help with the different pieces of that. Then there's also various uh, lighter ways to get in touch with the team. So we do have some lightweight support on um, via chat service directly online. And then even kind of extending further from that, obviously the community forums are a way for just random people to sort of get information from the team, from our experts internally. Uh, and as, in addition to that, that forum is growing and even people in the community are starting to answer uh, different questions. So it, that's great to see just sort of that community and uh, camaraderie in terms of building and getting behind MongoDB. That's community.mongodb.com. Uh, but I also have another follow-up question to this. So where, where do you kind of draw the line between the community forums and actually paid customer support? Where, can, is there a, a line between the two? Yeah, so there's certainly a line. Um, the community forums are really best for getting sort of broad stroke advice on, on where to get started, which direction to go in, and things of that nature. The support itself is really great for a variety of other needs. So you have a very specific problem that needs to be addressed. You may be an, a large enterprise customer who has some challenge and they need to get urgent assistance and stuff like that. So there are SLAs that are associated with the enterprise level support. And by SLAs, I simply mean that the support team is responsible for responding in a timely manner, given the impact of the issue that you're facing. So like I sort of hinted at earlier, that support comes in a variety of uh, factors. So sometimes it's just a question of like, how, how do I think about doing this thing? And other times it's, hey, we've had a hiccup and something is wrong and we need to get back up um, and running quickly. And so our support team is well-equipped to handle that whole uh, spectrum of issues and questions that come at us. Yeah. So the, the traditional definition of support, you know, with an SLA attached, right? Correct. Yeah. Terrific. Well, so we're talking today about a specific area of support, and I would imagine it, that it makes up a good bit of the questions that you get. And we'd like to kind of focus on uh, the specifics of problems around performance and queries specifically. So can you tell me a little bit about some of the questions slash problems that you, that you get as a technical support person around queries with MongoDB? Yeah, so really the, the sky is the limit when it comes to what sort of questions come our way. 
there is certainly a a group of the questions that sort of fall into the I'm new to MongoDB. I'm trying to figure out how to correctly query the data and do it in a way that's performant, right? I'm not going to wait a day to get an answer, uh, you know, to a simple query. I want to find my employee record or something like that. But then we definitely quickly move into the more advanced realm where people are trying to do these more advanced queries, these more advanced aggregations. And similarly, they either uh, have questions about the syntax or semantics for doing that, or you know, best practices for how to do that in the most efficient way possible. And so as people grow in their journey with MongoDB, they become more familiar with the language and we just sort of help them along that, that path. And the interesting aspect of this is that you, you sort of hinted that these questions come in frequently and they do. And the thing is that performance when it comes to queries and indexing really has a big impact on the health of the database itself. And so a lot of times the question won't come in as, hey, I've got this inefficient query. The question will come in as, I've got high CPU. Uh, my cluster has had an unexpected election. It's something of that nature, something of a performance nature. And when we drill in, we find, oh, there's some opportunities for improvement here. And the improvements that we go after are not you know, 10% improvements. They're 99% improvements in both duration and resource usage reduction, which then has great uh great ability to modify the spend on the cluster and make it more scalable in the long term and just generally stabilizing things going forward. So I actually have a few questions for you. And I'll start with uh, something you said earlier. You said that there's uh, the scenario where developers come to you asking you how to write queries um, efficiently. And then the scenario where developers come to you and say, I've got a problem, basically. Um, in most circumstances, by the time that somebody reaches you, would you say that it's the the performance related reason, or would you say that it's uh, I need help with with actually getting started reason? I would say there's a good mix. Now that's just in terms of what we see. What I personally would like to see is people engage us a little bit sooner. So what we don't like is when somebody goes and tests something in a development environment that has ten documents and it works fine and then they roll out to production, they're wildly successful, but their query just maybe doesn't even have an index, right? And then they start running into issues and certainly we're able to resolve those, but what we prefer to see is let's, let's set this up to be successful from the beginning so that you don't have to come to us uh, with a problem and say, hey, hey we're, we're production down or production impacted or something like that. And in that regard, I'd also say that there are some earlier field teams that MongoDB has that are, are well-equipped to help set you up for success um, in ways that maybe technical services uh, later in the life cycle of when you're using MongoDB is, is not uh, in the same position to do that. Awesome. Now, well, going back to what you said regarding the, the customer or developer usually comes to you and says, you know, I have high CPU, there's things going wrong. Not necessarily I have a, a, a query that's not performing. What steps do you take to troubleshoot, to find out that it's the query that's the problem or the index? Yeah, so that, that's a great question. That's something that we're always trying to do better about uh, for two reasons. One, we want our support team to be efficient in answering the customer's problem. But at the same time, we want to figure out how we can help the customer better answer the question themselves, better understand the problem themselves. So for example, if you go in and you launch an Atlas cluster, 
there are a variety of, of metrics there that are available to you to look at directly. And so what you might see is, hey, I've got high CPU, but if you look down at some of the other metrics, you'll see some efficiency metrics and things like that, which suggest, hey, there may be some workload related thing that's worth digging into. And then Atlas is continuously developing new functionality, new insights to better understand those things. So we have a metric called the query targeting metric, which helps you understand how much data you're reading versus how much you're returning, which is a measure of efficiency. There's also like the profiler where you can see operations that are taking a long time and get a little bit of information about them. And then even going further than that, we're working internally with that team to better understand what the future of these alerts looks like to build out the advisor functionality and the auto scaling functionality that you've talked to Rez about in the past on this podcast. And so we're really focused on providing the users with a great experience for themselves. So they don't necessarily have to be MongoDB experts to be able to use the system efficiently and to understand things um, when they need to in order to address issues or dig in and research something that they have a question about. Great. So we've gotten some really phenomenal starting tips. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking about you know, writing some queries and you want to make sure you're good going forward and the things to look at out of the gate, you've mentioned, right out of the gate, you've mentioned uh, three things. The first is the query targeting metric. The second is the profiler. And the third is the advisor functionality, which is all of these things are built right into the MongoDB Atlas console. Let's go back to the query targeting metric first and, and touch on that, uh, maybe double click on that a little bit. Tell me a little bit about how you can find the query targeting metric. Right. So thanks for slowing down on this because it really is sort of important and fundamental with respect to running a MongoDB cluster efficiently. So the query targeting metric itself is just going to be one of the metrics that's available on the Atlas UI so that you can click in and you can see, just like I mentioned earlier, a variety of metrics. Some are host resource related, CPU, IOPS, stuff like that. Other things are more logically related what the database is doing. And the most important of those to me personally is that query targeting metric, and it's going to be right there. And similarly, you can actually build an alert based off of that metric that tells you, hey, this metric has actually gone up over time, which could be an indication that your collection is growing and you don't have the index associated with that query to help. And so those alerts help you sort of get real-time information that they hey, something has changed and, and you might want to look at this before it becomes a bigger problem. And so both of those things are, are just available directly in the Atlas UI uh, for consumption and use and, and things of that nature. Great. And so to reiterate, the query targeting metric is found within the list of metrics that are available in the console. And it's just one of, I think there's maybe what, 50 metrics that you can look at to, to gauge the performance of your, of your cluster and, and as the app the application is sending queries to it. Um, I love the fact that it not only displays it, but then you have the ability to then create an alert based on that certain condition so you can keep an eye on it. Now, I, before we go into the profiler, I want to ask about the availability of the metrics on the various sizes of clusters. Is the query targeting metric available on the free tier as well as the paid tiers? So that's a good question. I'm pretty sure that it's not available on the free tier. And that just simply has to do with the fact that you are sharing that instance with other folks. And so it's a little bit difficult at the moment to determine exactly which of the instances are responsible for driving that metric up or not. That said, this is certainly a known area of improvement that the product team is very interested in looking at in in the future to help both better understand uh, 
better enable customers to understand this for those tiers of clusters. And then as we think through like what the future of MongoDB Atlas looks like, just to better understand and how to roll that into those plans as well. Great. Yep. And feedback. Welcome there. Great. And then so moving into Profiler, that's also available only on the paid tiers is right. Is that right? Yes, I, I believe that's the case. So you want to talk a little bit about what the Profiler is and how it works? Yeah, so the profiler is a way to look at the individual queries that come into the system. And what we do is we take a look at the slowest operations that get captured by the system in the logging, and we build a visual chart of those. And so what you see when you go there is sort of a bubble chart where each dot represents a different query. Uh, there's several aspects to the dimensions here. So the y-axis is going to be the, the duration of the operation. So the higher up it is, the slower it is. The x-axis is going to be the timeline. So you can see kind of when these things were running and if they were clustered together uh, or anything like that. And then there's also a dimension of this, which is uh, the color of the dot will indicate the namespace that it's in. So you can kind of get a very quick glance to see, is there a particular cl collection, for example, that is having uh, a problem more than others? And then you can sort of drill down into the query shapes and the individual performance of those operations to get a better understanding of them. And then, so lastly, we'll, we'll get into the, uh, the advisor functionality. And you, you made mention of Res. Res is the, ResCon is the uh, product manager for all of the suite of tools that, that we're talking about today. So tell us a little bit about the advisor functionality in, in Atlas. Yeah, the advisor functionality is really something that I think is quite awesome that we're providing in Atlas. So if, if I think about the last five years, when I joined, Atlas wasn't even a product. And now here we are sitting with thousands of customers on Atlas, and we have these advisors that will find anti-patterns or opportunities for improvement, and they will just let you know, right? And these advisors are built with the experts that run MongoDB, so that guidance cannot be beat, right? So specifically, I mentioned the performance advisor, and the performance advisor's job is to help you keep a correct set of indexes available for your system. So historically, the, the first thing that we did was we started suggesting indexes that you should create that may be missing from your environment. So as a simple example, perhaps you're running a query and there are no indexes available. So we will go and we will say, hey, you should build this index and this operation will run faster. Since then, they've the team has built out that functionality even further. And we now also identify redundant indexes so we can remove some because indexes aren't free. And we've also uh, started to introduce the ability to auto-index. So instead of seeing the recommendation and manually having to apply it, those things will automatically just happen behind the scenes, which I think is amazing. The thing that I would say here is that if you haven't, I would recommend going and listening to both of the episodes with Res. That's episode 23 and 26. And he really talks about these, these future features and what, what the team is looking to build in more depth than we're going to go into today. All right, so this is all very great so far. I want to go back to something that you said earlier. You said that we're not looking at uh, optimizing uh, what the customer brings you by 1%. We're, we're optimizing it by 99%. So from a financial level, what does that typically look like? I mean, what... Are, I guess maybe what are people running as far as, as cluster sizes when they come to you? And then how much do you save them in that sense? Yeah, this is one of the most fascinating parts of my specific area of focus. And I think it's really sort of underappreciated, especially by customers. So, you know, they'll hear, hey, you need an index. But the magnitude of that statement is is 
not really fully understood until you see the difference that it can make. The example I gave at a MongoDB World Conference a couple of years ago was I wrote a simple application and I pointed at two clusters. One was an M10 and one was an M30. And the only difference between the two was that I built the index with the index keys reversed. So instead of A then B, I had B then A. And the M10, the smaller and less expensive cluster, was running the operations just fine, maybe using 1% or 2% of CPU, while the much larger M30, which is much more expensive, was pegged with 100% CPU utilization. Right? So that, that shows you just a quick example of like when we're talking 99% improvement, that's literally exactly what you'll see in many of these situations. So with respect to what do customers come with us, they're running all sizes of clusters, right? Certainly we see a bunch of startups that are, are, are using our more cost-efficient um, tiers, but maybe there's even opportunity for them to save a little more money now. But then we also see customers that are sort of throwing money at the problem. And in one sense, it's, it's very easy to scale up and to use these larger cluster sizes to get around a problem. But at the same time, one of my mentors a long time ago said, you know, maybe you want to stop trying to do silly faster. And so maybe we can approach the problem differently and we can just try and do it more efficiently. And the basic way to do that in MongoDB would be to index. That's great. And that's pretty powerful when you can save money by improving performance for sure. So that's one example, uh, indexes. Are there other examples of common anti-patterns that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, that's great. Thanks for the question. So when customers come to us, the first thing that we generally look at is, hey, is there a missing index or something that, that's very sort of quick to get them back on their feet? But the other aspect is, let's take a step back and let's try to understand better what you're trying to do. So as, as both of you are aware, you know, many people are coming from a relational background and they have years of experience with that sort of data model and that data access pattern and stuff like that. What we've been trying to teach people is, hey, there's a different way to do this with MongoDB. And some, sometimes that messaging comes across before people start building, but sometimes it takes a little while and you have to play around with the system a little bit to really fully understand it. And the reason that comes into play here is because many times we will see people try and do things with the aggregation framework that are possible, but it's not necessarily the best way to approach the problem. And so an example that might translate well into this audio format is if you're looking for the document in the collection that has the highest value of something. So maybe you have a collection of products and you want to find the most expensive thing. One approach would be to simply use the aggregation framework to group everything together and use the dollar max operator to find that maximum value. That will get you the correct answer, but it is going to require a lot of work for the system. But we can simply just change the approach to the problem and say, well, if, if we just request a sorted set of information in descending order, and we just look at the first one, that's going to get us what we're after anyway. So let's just apply this approach instead, and we're going to solve the problem without have, having to try and scale up to do that massive group operation or something like that. So that in general sort of encapsulates the problem. And then more specifically, I would just say with respect to the aggregation framework, I'd really encourage listeners to go and take a look at like all of the new features that have been added over the years, because you can do so much with it. And you'll commonly see sort of like old style techniques applied. So if you want to do array processing, people use the anti-pattern of 
unwinding everything first, which means to take the array and make individual documents out of it. Then they will do some filtering on it with a match, and then they'll group it back together into the same documents that were there originally. We don't have to do that anymore, right? You can just apply a dollar filter operator that specifically functions on an array, and you can avoid all of that extra work. So the, the takeaway here is take a look at what is in the documentation, the stuff that's available. Go look at the MongoDB University courses, which describe a lot of the things that are going on here. In fact, you've had Yulia on the podcast twice now, I believe, and they're working on even further enhancing the information that's available there. So, you know, go to university.mongodb.com and try out those courses, learn some fundamentals. And if you still get stuck, come to the community forums. Again, there's a, a whole bunch of people that just want to help you uh, be successful in using MongoDB, especially with this powerful aggregation framework that you know takes a little bit of learning to get used to. Great. And um, you mentioned the episode with Yulia. That's episode 46, if you want to listen back on that one. Really powerful. And once again, university.mongodb.com is a great resource. Fantastic. So uh, some really great information, Chris. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, expectations for, for queries. What's, you know, maybe somebody has a, a couple of gig uh, data set and they're running aggregations against it. What's a good rule of thumb for how long it should take to get information back? I get asked this question a surprising amount of times. And the reason I say it's surprising is because the answer is totally dependent on what the user is trying to do and where they're trying to do it. So if this aggregation is something that is supporting their application that end users use, then obviously we want to make sure that these things are, are quick and can process as efficiently as possible. But on the other hand, like I've mentioned, aggregation framework is really powerful. You can do some awesome reporting capabilities with a, a pipeline. But as Asi has talked about in her podcast episode, the long reporting functionality, sometimes that takes a lot of processing uh, to accomplish. So it might not necessarily be the fastest thing in the world. So the sort of guidance here is to take a step back and put in context which operations you're looking at. And if it is something that is supposed to be like a larger aggregation, then maybe you take advantage of MongoDB's analytic nodes to offload that workload over there, let it run for a while, and then come back with the answer. And then that also doesn't harm the you know running primary from having to spend resources on those larger aggregations. So the rule of thumb is obviously we want things to be faster, but we want them to be faster in context to the other stuff that's that's going on in the system. Um, so I would definitely, if you're just curious about anything that I just said, look up some of Asia's stuff. She's been on the uh, the podcast on episode 12, and she also has a number of recorded episodes and a blog uh, a blog post about um, doing powerful things with aggregation framework. So when I say recorded episodes, I mean from her um, MongoDB world conferences and stuff like that. Those are all really, really powerful, just introductions into what these, this system can do. Fantastic. And that's Asia Komsky. We'll put links in the notes. If you're listening to this, make sure you check the show notes for links on all of the episodes and resources that Chris has talked about. Chris, what else do we need to tell the audience about queries and performance improvement before we begin to wrap? Yeah. So I would just say that there are sort of a lot of memes and tropes about MongoDB and what it can and can't do. And most of that is like extremely outdated by this point, 
right? If, if you think that there's something that MongoDB can't do or can't do performance, then in a performant way, then I would highly recommend that you just try it. You reach out, you see, hey, are people doing this? We have some huge enterprises that trust us with the, their most demanding workloads and we're able to deliver on those things. And it also helps us make the product better for the future. So I would, I, I'd really recommend just rethinking some of those things. You know, episode 43 with Mark Smith talks about, you know, how everything you know with MongoDB is wrong. And he sort of tries to dispel some of those myths so that people have a better understanding of where the product is today, which is hugely impressive. The, the amount that I've learned in the five years since joining has been way more than I had to learn when I joined because of the new things that we're rolling out, the new features, the new functionalities. And it's really just impressive to see. So I would just think about those things. And then I would also just say that when you are developing and, and beginning your MongoDB journey, take a little bit of time to make sure that things are set up correctly to begin with, because a little bit of uh, changing upfront may help you really scale and avoid some uh, potential pitfalls as you grow. And so those things are just important to spend a little bit of extra time on because it'll really help you have a more successful journey overall. It's been a power-packed episode, Chris. I want to thank you for spending time with us. We'll, uh, we'll certainly include all of the, re the resources that you've mentioned in the show notes and um, want to thank you. Uh, Nick, anything else before we wrap? Yeah, before we wrap, uh, Chris, if somebody wanted to contact you um, online, are you on social media at all? So, yes, I actually did grab the Twitter handle Query Doctor last year when I did a Twitch stream for oh, MongoDB. Nice. Um, that's sort of a reference to the nickname that I've been given internally because of my work with uh, queries and indexing and performance. So I haven't actually used that much, but if people wanted to, that would certainly be one way to reach out and, and get in touch with me. That one sounds like it's going to be money one day. <laughs> Never know. All right. Well, thanks very much, Chris. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. Thanks again for all that you all are doing to spread information about MongoDB. Thanks so much to Chris for joining us, and thanks to you, the listeners. Remember, if you want to support the show, you can always give us a review on Apple Podcasts. By doing that, you're going to help us reach additional listeners. Remember to check the links in the show notes for all of the resources that Chris mentioned. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe. Have a question or a suggestion for the show? Visit us in the MongoDB community forums at community.mongodb.com. The best tech conference of the year is coming to Las Vegas, November 28th through December 2nd, and MongoDB will be there. Check us out at booth 1611 for prizes, swag, and to learn all about the Atlas Developer Data Platform. Can't make it to the show but still want to enjoy the fun? Check out the MongoDB live stream for live interviews and discussions of all the exciting announcements from the show. Visit mongodb.com reinvent for more information.